are listening to the sermon podcast of Covenant Presbyterian Church. We are a community in Madison, Wisconsin, who gathers to worship, to learn, to serve, and to grow together in God's love. Please visit us online at www.covenantmadison.org, where you can find information about Covenant Ministries, as well as links to our online worship services and sermon podcasts. In the history of the Christian church, I am reasonably confident that there has never been a sermon with the title Elizabeth Schuyler, Mick Jagger, and Timothy. Hopefully in a few minutes you'll understand why this is the title. One of the most poignant songs in the musical Hamilton is called That Would Be Enough, sung mostly by Elizabeth Schuyler, wife of Alexander Hamilton. With the birth of their first child, she sings poignantly and beautifully, look around, look around, look around at how lucky we are to be alive right now. She sings this to her hardworking husband who might be a little too distracted by his work and his career aspirations to notice the simple joy of the birth of a child. So she's a little concerned that he's not content, not enjoying the simple gift of each day. I think this play does a wonderful job of showing the paradox of being someone who's driven and who works hard, which are good things. But somewhere there's a balance there. Somewhere there's a balance about time and energy and focus and contentment and what really satisfies us. We're certainly grateful for the hard work of someone like Alexander Hamilton, but we also know that it's important to slow down sometimes and appreciate the simple things in life and the the gift of life itself. The drive for more is deeply woven into the fabric of our country. Contentment is elusive for most of us. Ben Franklin noticed this many years ago, writing, Contentment makes poor men rich. Discontent makes rich men poor. And a few years later, in the 1830s, Alexis de Tocqueville came to the U.S. and wrote that wonderful collection of essays called Democracy in America. Anybody else read that in U.S. history class in high school, right? Well, at one point he wrote, Americans are extremely eager in their pursuit of immediate material pleasures and are always discontented with the position they occupy. They think about nothing but ways of changing their lot and bettering it. One usually finds that the love of money is either the chief or a secondary motive at the bottom of everything the Americans do. Interesting observations from the 1830s. We could quibble with some of his nuance there, but I think there's some truth to be had. And of course, many years later, Mick Jagger famously sang about how he can't get any satisfaction. And you'll be pleased to know that one member of Covenant Presbyterian Church came up to me after the first service, showed me her phone, and said, I was tempted to turn it on to play my ringtone for you. (laughs) The one and only ringtone that I have on my phone is that very song, which she described as the greatest rock and roll song of all time. (laughs) 
So maybe that would be okay time for a phone to go off and worship. I don't know. But. So in the Bible, there are several teachings about contentment, about satisfaction, about learning to be appreciative of what we have. One of them comes from the little letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. Listen for God's word. Of course, there is great gain and godliness combined with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world so that we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Thanks be to God for the words of Scripture, even the challenging ones. Several years ago, a Wall Street columnist by the name of Robert Frank published a book called Richistan, subtitled A Journey Through the American Wealth Boom and the Lives of the New Rich. I have not read this book, but I've read about it in a couple different places, and it seems like a fascinating description of the super rich people in our country, the families with the alligator skin toilets, the $100,000 watches, the 400-foot yachts. You know, that's kind of how I live my life, right? Ha ha, not 30,000 square foot homes. Well, one revealing finding in this study is how gripped by fear some of these multi-millionaires are by not having enough, worrying about their money, worried about running out of money. The author cites a survey where people were asked, how much money would you need to be financially secure? These are very wealthy people. Now, he rounded out the statistics and basically found that people whose net worth was about a million dollars said they would need two million dollars to be secure. And people whose net worth was in the $10 million range felt they needed about $20 million to be financially secure. And in the study, believe it or not, he said that the people who had $100 million actually felt they would need about $200 million to be financially secure. So there's the example that we need to recognize that we're all kind of, it's not enough, it's not enough, it's not enough. You know those super rich people, they're just so shallow, so insecure, so greedy, never content, buying more stuff, never seem to be happy with what they have, Good thing we're not like that at all, ever, right? We're good at pointing fingers at those people and casting judgments, making comments in sermons that might seem judgmental. But the reality is that we're all pretty good at seeing how green the, the grass is on our neighbor's lawn. We're pretty good at thinking of all the stuff we don't have. We're pretty good at thinking that more money and more stuff will make us truly happy and content and solve all our problems. It's pretty easy for us to slip into that sort of discontentment, so we need inspiring words to encourage us, something to aspire to. And the Apostle Paul provides that in the little book of Philippians. He writes, I've learned to be content with whatever I have. I know what it is to have little. I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I've learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and being in need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
I find his words aspirational and helpful. And I'm glad to be part of a community where we lovingly, graciously encourage one another to move in this direction, to ponder what it really means to be content, to ponder smart ways of living with our money, to ponder helpful ways of being faithful Christians with whatever abundance we might have. In the little book called Enough, subtitled Discovering Joy Through Simplicity and Generosity, Adam Hamilton suggests four ways to cultivate contentment. So in the spirit of mutual encouragement for all of us, myself included, on the journey here, I want to share these four with you today. Number one, remember that it could be worse, right? Um, I think that's really helpful encouragement for us to think for our own situations. Please do not go to somebody who's going through a hard time and tell them it could be worse, right? This is for us to remember. We need to be careful with some of these things. It's a helpful framework for us. And sometimes, you know, we don't want to beat ourselves up with this, but oftentimes we could recognize this and it would be helpful. Second one, ask yourself, how long will this make me happy? Has anybody here by chance ever gone to the store or gone online and seen something and thought this is great and they buy it and then get home and a day later or a week later realize this is stupid, why did I buy this? Has anybody ever done that? Maybe once or twice or a hundred times, right? I think we've all been there. How long will it make me happy? And do I really need to buy this? Are there other ways I could find that same sort of happiness that I yearn for without buying stuff? Yes, we can certainly buy fun things and nice things, you know? The, the Bible talks about this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. We have abundant life. We're meant to celebrate and be happy. But we need to be careful. We need to be careful. Third one, develop a grateful heart. We talked about this a little bit last week, the idea of cultivating gratitude as well. It's not just something for Thanksgiving and, and for the month of November. One good way to do this is to simply pause before a meal and to say, thank you, God, for this food. You can do that in like four seconds. It's a great habit to get into before any meal that we might have. Some people have gratitude journals. With our small groups this month, I encourage people to take an index card and write down three things that they're grateful for and just cultivate that mindset of trying to find ways to be grateful. In the book, I want to pause on this for a second, Adam Hamilton um, shares a story about a couple that was having a big argument Finally, one person in the couple got so upset that they, they left the house and they walked away and says that he was starting to pray about all the reasons that he was angry at his wife. <laughs> and as he kept walking, his prayer changed. And it moved towards gratitude, even in the midst of this conflicted situation. And his prayer ended up being something like um, being thankful. Um, he prayed, thank you that she is strong-willed. Thank you that she has a fiery personality. Thank you that she calls me to be better than I am. What a fascinating transformation of an argument. Now, that won't necessarily work in all situations, but it's an invitation to think about where we can find gratitude even in challenging situations. And again, be careful with this. Don't push it on other people. Somebody who's going through a hard time doesn't need you to come in and say, oh, well, you should be thankful that you're going through this horrible time. That's for us to take into our own lives. Then finally, the fourth way to cultivate contentment. Ask yourself, 
Where does my soul find true satisfaction? Deep down at some level, I think we all know that true satisfaction doesn't simply come from a big bank account, a big house, a big boat. But the reality is we're inundated with messages that it is the big house and the big boat and the big bank account that will make us happy. So we have to be intentionally mindful about what will truly bring us happiness. And as Christians, we know at some level that it involves God and connecting to God's purposes for us and God's love for us. St. Augustine famously said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless till they rest in you. Sometimes our hearts get so restless that we go out and buy everything in sight and we realize that that doesn't necessarily help. The reality is the call to contentment runs through our religious tradition. We see it in the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments that we affirm on the first Sunday of every month. The first couple of them really essentially are encouraging us to love the right things in the right way. And the last one, rather explicitly, is urging us to be content with what we have. We will have no other gods before God. We will not worship idols or any false god. We will not covet our neighbor's stuff. So there it is. I want to talk for a minute about football. Um, well, first a word about football today. Some of you know I'm a lifelong New York Jets fan. I do have my New York Jets necktie on. They're playing the Green Bay Packers today. But that's not the football that I really want to talk about in the sermon. I want to talk about World Cup football, otherwise known to us as soccer, and tell you about a soccer player from the African country of Senegal. His name is Sadio Mane, and he's one of the best players in the world. When the Men's World Cup starts next month, if you follow this at all, you might hear his name. He's well-known, well-respected, great player. He plays on European League team. And he makes about $10 million a year. Now, this picture came out of him a few years ago, and social media went a little bit crazy because in the picture, this $10 million a year soccer player is holding a phone with a cracked screen. And people asked him, why do you have a phone with a cracked screen? You've got all this money, you can get one. And he gave a rather lengthy response about his priorities and his sense of money. It's a little bit long, but I think it's worth hearing. He said, why would I want 10 Ferraris, 20 diamond watches, or two planes? What will these objects do for me and for the world? As a kid, I was hungry and I had to work in the field. I survived hard times. I played football barefoot. I did not have an education and many other things. But today, with what I earn thanks to football, I can help my people. I built schools, a stadium. I provide clothes, shoes, and food for people who are in extreme poverty. In addition, I give 70 euros per month to all the people in a very poor region of Senegal, which contributes to their family economy. I do not need to display, to display luxury cars, luxury homes, trips, and even planes. I prefer that my people receive a little of what life has given me. What a fascinating story. I think I have a new favorite soccer player. And after this incident came out, 
the world learned more about this quiet and humble Senegalese soccer player. Apparently his father died when he was seven because there was no hospital in the village. So guess who built a hospital in his village? This Muslim soccer player from Senegal has learned the lessons of contentment and simplicity and generosity that are essential in our religious tradition, as well as other religious traditions, obviously. He knows what it means to be blessed, to be a blessing to others. So the invitation this month is to be mindful about our money, to be mindful about our choices, to be mindful about our priorities, and to think about what makes us truly happy. Reverend Billy Graham famously said, give me five minutes with a person's checkbook and I'll tell you where their heart is. That might be a little simplistic, but maybe it's worth us taking a look at our checkbooks or our bank statements or our banking apps or our piggy banks or wherever it is we keep our money and transact our finances. Think about how we're using our money and if we're using it wisely and well. The good news of the gospel that we need to remember this Sunday and every Sunday is that we have been blessed with the gift of abundant life. Forgiveness, new love, new life, and with a call to live with a sense of purpose, to take that love that God's given us and to make it real in the world with the way we spend our money, the way we save our money, the choices we make, the things we say and do. We've been blessed to be a blessing. So if the invitation to look at your checkbook seems a little too intimidating or too intrusive, I'm not going to ask to see your checkbook. I don't want to see your checkbook. That's not why I said that. But if that seems too much, maybe you can do this. Block out five minutes this week. Five minutes. Maybe you can get your phone out, set the timer on your phone, maybe ask somebody to, to time it for you, and find a comfortable place to sit in your home. Keep your eyes open. Look around. See what's in your house. See what makes you smile. See what you think of. Maybe you'll end up in your five minutes making a prayer of gratitude and thinking of all the things for which you're grateful. Or maybe you'll just sit there and look around, look around and think about how lucky you are to be alive right now. Let us pray.